We're going to take a little detour today in light of Easter and talk about the resurrection. Because everything we're talking about in regards to the church, it really means nothing if Christ didn't get up out of the grave. I mean, think about it. Gathering in church, singing songs, baptisms, celebrating the Lord's table. If Christ didn't get up out of the grave, that's just all ritual, right? And so the importance of the resurrection and why it matters is absolutely crucial. Jesus Christ basically gave the resurrection as evidence to prove that he was the Son of God. And that, that has tremendous implications, not just for head knowledge, to say, okay, well, he was the Son of God. No, it, it's more than that. Because if he were the Son of God, if he was the Son of God, then everything he said is true. So it's more than just a head knowledge of believing, okay, I believe he was God. Well, Satan believes that too. Satan knows that he was God. But then it goes further. It has implications for our lives. Because everything Jesus taught and said, everything found in the scriptures is true. So the resurrection is more than just, yeah, okay, we believe he got out of the grave. It has implications in how we live our lives. This is why atheists love to attack the resurrection. If you can disprove the resurrection, Christianity falls, right? Without the resurrection, you just have another myth, another religion like all the other religions. So why does the resurrection matter? There's so many implications. So let's ask God's blessing as we look into his word. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you, God, for the resurrection. Father, it's ultimately what our hope is in. Jesus Christ, your son, who died for our sins. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look at your word, that you would reignite our passion for you. God, help us to understand the importance of the resurrection, the implications it has, not only for eternity, but for every day that we live our lives. So, Father, we thank you. We bless your name. Amen. How we see reality. The resurrection explains all that we see in this world and drives how Christians should live, think, and worship God. I say this to the teens all the time in high school. You can go with your reality, with what the culture says, or you can go with God's. You pick. Only one of them are going to deem to be true. But we all do this, don't we? We know what God says, even, even we who claim to know him. But then we go with what the culture says. We fall on our faces, and we crawl back over. Okay, God, I'll listen to you this time. We all struggle with that, right? Is that Romans 7's passage. The things I know I should do, I end up doing the opposite. Oh, wretched man, who will deliver me from this body of flesh? Right? But the resurrection, the fact that Christ got up out of the grave, then it means that his commentary on life is true. Think about it. I don't have to guess about my purpose, my meaning, my value, my self-worth. All these things that, that the world is shouting solutions to, right? Pain, suffering. The resurrection makes sense of all of it. Because the resurrection points to the fact that Jesus was God in the flesh. And God as creator has the best commentary on life. Because he made it. Doesn't that make sense? You ever try to make a recipe? I love to cook. I'm not going to say I'm a great cook, but it's edible. And oftentimes when I follow a recipe... That picture looks so nice, don't it? <laughs> and the spare ribs, short spare ribs with the gravy falling over it and the nice fluffy mashed potato. You follow all the steps. And yours just don't quite taste the same. It doesn't even look like the picture, right? When we look at God's word, it's like looking at that beautiful picture. 
this is, this is the way God has designed life. But then when we actually go and do life, sometimes we're like, I'm not feeling it. I don't have, like you were talking about that joy. I don't have that peace. So one or two things are true. Either the picture's not right or the recipe's wrong or you didn't follow the recipe. Right? And again, when we look at the fact that Jesus was God, then his commentary on life helps us to understand everything in life. Not just the good times, but the bad times too. So 1 Corinthians 15 is a passage where Paul unpacks the resurrection. And he starts out, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. So he's speaking to believers. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So Paul is going to now unpack this essential point of the gospel, which is the resurrection. Okay? He's like, look, what, what I'm about to say to you, this is the same message I gave to you by which you got saved. You are saved now, but you are going to be saved when Christ comes back, too, right? It's not over. You, you understand, like, this is not it, right? You're going to get a new body. Amen? <laughs> All right? So uh, you keep working on your diets, but you got a new one coming, okay? So don't stress out too much about it, <laughs> right? I just justified eating donuts last night, you know? See? See, see how the old man works? Right? We can spiritualize everything when we don't do things right. But Paul here is going to now talk about the resurrection. And what's going on in the context here, some were saying that there is no such thing as a bodily resurrection. No, it's kind of like a spiritual resurrection. No, no, no. Paul's like, no, no, no. The resurrection is real. And not only is it the key to your salvation, but it's also the key to your hope and your future and what it's going to be like. And I don't think we can put our carnal minds around that, right? That you are going to be living forever in a body, not floating around in heaven, but on a new earth. H how often do we not think about that, right? The resurrection guarantees it. So for the believer trying to get all the gusto I can get out of this life, that pressure is off of me. <laughs> you see the implication of the resurrection? No, but I got to. Now, listen, don't, don't get me wrong. I want Monique and I to grow old together. I want to be sitting on the rocking chair in the front of our house and asking her to pass me my teeth, you know, and then matching up her applesauce for her, right? I, I, I want that, to have us, like, walking around Walmart like those couples, right? But there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee. And, and, and we can get so entangled with the affairs of this life. I, I, want to retire, I want to retire. Lord, I want to do this. I want to do this. And we can get so filled with anxiety and angst because we're not plotting the way we think we should plot, right? We're running out of time. Enter the resurrection, and you realize that this is not it for the believer. That we are going to live on a new earth with Christ. What do you think we're going to be doing? You ever stop and think about that? We're just going to be singing? Uh, no. We'll be singing, and there'll be some long worship times, I'm sure, right? Like, oh, okay, you're going to the worship? Yeah, man, that lasts almost 10,000 years, man. I'm not going to go tonight. <laughs> right? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome, right? Because we got eternity. But in eternity, on the new earth, we're going to be working. We're going to be doing creative things. We're, we're, we're going to be experiencing God at a whole different level. Do you realize that your destiny is the Garden of Eden restored? Think about that. So that takes the pressure off of me to try to get it all out of this life. You, you understand what I'm saying? The resurrection matters to us because it points to where our future is and where we are going.
praise God for the resurrection. So as Paul begins to unpack this gospel and the importance of the resurrection as it relates to the gospel, the content of the gospel is Jesus Christ, while the effect of the gospel is salvation. Amen? He, he already talked about the gospel in multiple places, but in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is Paul's primary message throughout his entire life. And the resurrection is key to the gospel. If there's no resurrection, there's no gospel. And Paul was going to begin to unpack that truth. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. What I'm telling you, what he's reminding them of, is this gospel that involves Christ dying for our sins based on what the Old Testament foretold. In other words, he is, was the Messiah. He was the one that the Jews were waiting for and they missed it. Right? They wanted a political Messiah. They missed that he was coming to die for our sins. Now, you can't have a resurrection without a death. You got to die before you rise. Amen? So notice now that Christ's death was more than just dying. Christ's death was more than dying. In other words, the, the, the idea of dying, okay, well, a lot of people die. Thousands of people died on a cross. If Christ just died, so what? But it's who he is. God, man, Lamb of God, dying for a very specific uh, purpose. What? For our sins. That's what sets him apart. The Romans crucified people all the time. But this death was significant. And when Paul talks about he died according to the scriptures, he's referring to the Old Testament. In Isaiah, it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced, there it is, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Amen? Praise God. So God pours out his wrath on Jesus Christ. Why? Because of sin. Whose sin? My sin. Your sin. That seems unfair. That's why it's called grace. <laughs> Amen? His death was significant in that it was the fulfillment of God's promise. I'm going to bring a lamb who's going to die once for the sins of mankind. And after hundreds of years of Israel offering literal lambs, Jesus walks on the scene and John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb of God. There he is. There's the lamb we've been waiting for. The chastisement was laid upon Jesus Christ. He was punished for our sins. And notice what that chastisement did that brought us peace. Guys, don't miss this. He's not talking about peace as far as that peace, like, ah, I feel so good right now. No, no, he's talking about peace between you, a sinner, and a holy God. He's talking about reconciliation. I no longer have to fear. I no longer have to fear the judgment of God. Why? Christ paid the price. I've been reconciled to a holy God. That is our greatest need. So you can get houses and lands, and, and, and you can get the retirement, and get the nice plushy rocking chairs, and get the Lakeview house. But if you die without Christ, so what? 
Our greatest need is to be reconciled to a holy God. That's why Christ died. Now, that's only part of the gospel. Because if he died for all of these things but never got up out of the grave, <laughs> it was just another death. But notice, the effects of sin in the world. This sin for which Christ died for. We have evil. We have suffering. We have selfishness, injustice, separation from God, right? None of us can deny these things. And the list, you could add more. The reality of sin in the world has to be explained somehow. The reality of evil. God says, remember I said God's commentary is right? God's commentary on it is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God's commentary is sin is in the world through Adam. And all of us are sinners. That's God's commentary. You look around at reality, look at the newspapers, and you certainly see sin in the world. Nobody denies it. I wonder how the atheist defends it. How does the atheist explain sin in the world? See, Mr. Atheist, my friend, if you're saying there is no such thing as good and evil, then how can you call anything sin? See the problem? You, you can take the atheist's commentary on the world, no God, evolution, or you can take God's commentary on the world, Adam's sin explains what you see in the world. I was talking to an atheist friend, and he said, well, Pastor Ron, you know, morality is, is all relative. I said, really? He said, yeah, morality is we do what's best for the clan. We do what's best for the society. And this is how evolution works. So they realize it's best if we don't eat those guys over there because then we can't have more children and grow our clan. So that's why they didn't eat those people. It had nothing to do with God. It has to do with survival. Wow, that, that, sounds, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I'm like, okay. I said, you believe that? He said, absolutely. I said, ask you a question. I said, what kind of car are you driving? He's like, um, it's like a 2023 something. I forget what it was. I said, okay. He said, why do you ask? I said, because I'm going to steal it later. He said, excuse me? He said, I'm going to steal it later. You see, it's in my best interest <laughs> and my survival that I have your 2023 versus my car, which at the time was a 2000. It's in my best interest. He said, well, you can't do that. I said, why? He said, that's wrong. I said, according to you. He said, well, well, yeah, that's against the law. I said, well, who made the law? I said, Holly evolved animals. Why should I listen to them? He was like, come on, man, you know that's wrong. <laughs> you see the problem? And, and we can go on and on with the atheist's commentary on life because the atheist doesn't want to look at someone and say, no, that person is born in sin. That person is born corrupt. That's God's commentary on why the bad is out there. And if God's commentary is true, and God is real, and God is holy, we got a problem. Enter Christ. Amen? So Christ comes to deal with the effects of sin. Notice as he goes on, he says that he was buried. So Christ died, he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. Here it is again, in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Remember, Paul is talking to believers. Why is Paul giving all this explanation on the resurrection? Because they are believing there are some that the resurrection, one, either did not happen, or it's not a bodily resurrection. And Paul's like, guys, you're messing with the gospel if you buy into that lie. Like, if the resurrection did not happen, the gospel I preach to you is null and void. And notice he begins to now build a case that Jesus was raised, and again he appeared to Peter, Cephas, then to the twelve. Notice Matthew 12, 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. This is them talking to Jesus. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet 
Jonah. How do we know Jonah was a real character? Because Jesus made reference to him. And notice, what is that sign? For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. Let's pause for a minute. How do we know that Jonah and the fish was not a fairy tale? Because Jesus made mention of it. Amen? So when the skeptic scoffs and says, come on, man, a fish, man living it? No. How do I know that's real? Because Jesus made mention of it. But you can't stop there. Because then what the skeptic is going to say, well, so what Jesus said? A lot of people say crazy stuff into the resurrection. Oh, because he got up out of the grave. Oh, now that's real. (laughs) Now, if he defeated death, then perhaps he was God. You see how everything hinges on the resurrection. All of Christianity, all that we believe in our Bible. If Jesus did not get up out of the grave, it's a bunch of fairy tales, guys. Resurrection is so important. And notice Jesus says, this is going to be the evidence. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus said, you Pharisees are looking for a sign. I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to defeat death. Any questions after that? (laughs) The resurrection. The resurrection. As we continue walking through, look at what he says. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Why does he put that in there? This is Paul's way of saying, go check it out. If you don't believe me, go check it out. Like Paul is putting in writing, listen, Jesus got up out of that grave. And there were skeptics in his day, just like there are skeptics today around the resurrection. So what is he doing? He's giving key witnesses. Cephas, a pillar of the church, the other 12 apostles, over 500 people. Go check it out. Somebody said to me, you know, uh, you really believe Jesus got out of the I said, I do believe he got out of the grave. And I said, why is that such a, a, a far-fetched thing for you to, to, to grab onto? And this guy said, real simple, dead people don't get up out of the grave. I said, I, I agree with you. I said, you believe in God. He said, well, I'm on the fence about that. I said, okay, fair enough. But let's say there was a God, okay? I said, would God be able to raise someone from the dead? Well, well, I I guess, yeah. Like if God made man, you, you don't think God could, like, raise him from the dead? Like God gave Adam life, right? You do remember, like he made Adam. There was Adam. Was Adam living? When he made him in the flesh? No, not yet. But then he did what? Breathe into Adam, and Adam became a living soul. Now, if there's a God who did that, what problem is it for that God to raise a dead man? Right? You see, a lot of times when, when people struggle with this idea of the resurrection, I think it's more of the implications of the resurrection that they struggle with. Not that there's not enough evidence, but the implications of the resurrection. Because if Jesus got up out of the grave, Jesus is God. And what Jesus says goes. That's the real problem. Notice he says he appeared to more than 500, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. I love how scripture says, in talking about the believer, they fell asleep. He didn't say they died. <laughs> I love, we're sleeping. I love that. All right, we don't have time to camp out on all of this, but let's keep going. Then he appeared to James, another pillar of the faith. James, by the way, brother of Jesus, some say half-brother of Jesus, who doubted, who did not believe that he was really the son of God. Remember Jesus' siblings called him crazy? His own siblings called him crazy. But here's James. Then to all the apostles. What are we saying? Listen, there are too many witnesses saw Jesus after he had been risen from the dead. The resurrection is not a fabrication or a myth. Too many witnesses. Here's the bias, guys. Here's the bias in our culture. How do we know Alexandra lived? Alexandra the Great. 
There's no secular professor that denies his existence. Absolutely, of course he exists. How do you know? Because we have the writings. Hmm, interesting. How do we know Jesus got about at a grave? Oh, that's a myth. Ho, 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 ho. We have writings that say he did. Do you see the bias? Well, they made that stuff up. They did. How do we know that the people who had the writings about Alexander the Great and his great conquest, that they didn't make that up? Well, that's historical. So are these writings. Do you see the bias? Well, they probably manipulate. Then how did, do you see the problem? <laughs> so it's a, double, it's a double standard. We'll accept writings about Alexander the Great, by the way, that were written some 300 years after he lived. They leave that out. But here's some documents written earliest maybe 35, 40 years after Christ. 330 to 45, but you're saying these are more accurate, these are tangible. No, it's not a bias about evidence, it's a bias about conclusion. You don't want Christ to be God in the flesh. It's amazing. First Corinthians, let's go back. Paul, again, laying down the fact that Jesus was seen by these people. Last of all, as to one untimely born, referring to the Apostle Paul. Remember before he came, the Apostle Paul, he was Saul, killing Christians. He appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So he lays out to these believers, go find these witnesses and talk to them. They saw Jesus. It's not just me. It's not just me. By the way, questions come to my mind. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, why are we still debating about it? Now, I know that's, that's anecdotal evidence, but, but think about that. You can't sign up anywhere in the world and go to a conference where they are debating whether Santa Claus is real. But you can about Jesus Christ. If he was just a Jewish carpenter who thought he was God, that would make him crazy, C.S. Lewis said. Or it would make him a liar because he said he was God. Or the other option is maybe he is real. And we're still debating over who was Jesus. Why? Why? Why won't it just go away? Jewish man. Three years of public ministry in a little obscure part of the world. Jewish carpenter. And he changed the entire world. Why? You can't just glibly say, well, they just thought he was God. No, 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 no. You're, you're being intellectually dishonest. If you're not looking at the fallout of this man, Jesus Christ. And you got to come up with a better reason. I got one. Last of all, as to one, he appeared to me. Notice as he moves on. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and you believed. Paul is simply solidifying the gospel that I preach to you fundamentally includes the resurrection. Now, notice what he's going to do. Is he going to begin to unpack, well, what if there were no resurrection? Well, if there is no resurrection, then Christ obviously has not been raised. Your faith is futile. God is misrepresented. Christians remain in sin, and the dead cannot be raised. Right? There's implications if this resurrection did not happen. And Paul begins to unpack this. Notice what he says. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, and now we get an insight to what the issue was, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You see? See what the problem was? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is 
empty. You're believing in Santa Claus. Guys, this has tremendous implications. Because if I have to give an account to a holy God for my sins, and there is no Christ, and there is no atonement, then the Bible says the wages of my sin is death. I will pay for my sins. The resurrection is crucial. And if it did not happen, notice he says, the preaching that I'm giving to you, it's empty. The preaching is empty. The faith you put in my preaching is empty. Why? Because it's all based on a risen Christ. So if he did not raise, this is all, oh, this is a waste of time. We may feel good because we gathered and went through some rituals. But there's thousands of religions around the world that are going through rituals today. And they feel good. They had an encounter with something. I'm not interested. I'm interested in truth. I say to the teens all the time, I'm not a Christian because it worked for me. That's not why I'm a believer. Well, it, it kind of fits you. It worked. No. There's some ways where it doesn't work. <laughs> right? I'd rather just follow my flesh. I'd rather just, right? I'm a Christian because it's true. I'm a Christian because it's true, and I want to base my life on truth, not, 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 not on some type of wish, right? And Paul is simply saying that all that I've been preaching and teaching, Christ did not raise from the dead, it means nothing. No resurrection equals no gospel. No resurrection equals no hope. And no resurrection equals no God. Do you see the weight of the resurrection? That print is so small. I apologize. <laughs> I just just had Hannah do that. <laughs> That's what happens when you do your own PowerPoints, right? <laughs> but do you see the weight of that? Not only we don't have redemption, because there's no gospel, there's no hope. This is it. You live, do the best you can, hope you don't get sick, maybe you marry, maybe you have a family, Maybe you grow old, 80, 90, get to travel the world, then you die, and that's it. And that's where a lot of the people live. Christ didn't get up out of the grave. This is all we have, guys. Right? And that's why, you know, atheists like Richard Dawkins says, yes, Ron, this is all you have. You need to just be a big boy and accept that. The problem is you Christians can't handle that. So you got to project this idea of God and an afterlife. And, of course, he sells millions of books and just paid millions of dollars going around the world preaching that message. But I often wonder when Richard Dawkins goes home and lays down at night what he really believes. See, folks, here's my stance, and I think I can base this on Scripture. I do not believe that there is such a thing as a true atheist. Because if there is such a thing as a true atheist, then God's word is not true. Because God said, I have put it in man's heart to know that I am God. But Ron, they say they don't believe. Well, I, I, I know they say they don't believe now. But that's not how you start it. Because God said, I put it in your heart to know that I am God. Not because you went to seminary, not because you even went to church, because you walked out and bumped into a tree. Ooh, ooh, tree, ooh, who created that? Something instinctly told you God created that. But what do we do? What does man do? We press that truth down. No, no, no God, no God. Uh-uh, keep God over there, right? It's like trying to hide a puppy, right? Your wife says, I don't want a puppy. Let me go get a puppy. And you stick the puppy over here, and what happens? The puppy keeps coming out, and you're like, oh, you wait, hold on. Why? Because you, you don't want the puppy to reveal that there's a puppy. Because that's going to have implications. Because your wife said no puppy. <laughs> right? We don't want there to be a God. You know why? Real simple. Because we want to be our own God. That's why. I get to set the rules. I get to determine what life ought to be. It's about me. I get to worship me. 
goes right back to the garden, folks. That's what the sin was about. Eve, did Adam or did God really say? No, no, no. God knows in the day you disobey him, you will become like what? Gods. We want autonomy. We want autonomy. We all struggle with that, even as believers. Come on, let's be honest. Even as believers, as we read God's word and see what God is calling us to be and do, we like, nah, I want to go this way. That's one of the effects of sin, right? Praise God, the resurrection did happen. So there is a gospel. There is redemption. There is hope. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. Amen? I love it. So if I don't get to sit on the porch with Monique and put her teeth in for her, you know what? It's okay. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The life that I now live, I live through the power of Christ. And if I die, it's my gain. It just takes the pressure off, don't it? Yeah, but you didn't, you didn't quite get the 401k where you wanted, and you didn't get to write that book. You know, I've been trying to write for 15 years, so what? Keep working hard, keep working hard, until God goes, taking you home today. Oh. <laughs> do, do you as a believer honestly feel that, or are you entangled with stuff here? Let's be honest. Where's most of your anxiety and stress coming from? With stuff that's tangible? That means nothing in light of eternity? Now, again, please, don't, don't, don't flip the script. I'm not saying throw your hands up there. Yeah, we're going to have it. I'm not, I'm not going to work tomorrow. I'm quitting. I'm not. Th- no, no, don't be a fool. The Bible says if a man don't work, he ought not to eat. But we got to balance living in this temporary life with where we're I have a big whiteboard in my office, and oftentimes I tell people, do you realize whatever you're going through is the whiteboard, right? That's life, right? But then I'll, I'll, I'll take a marker, and I'll go, and put a dot on the whiteboard. I said, that's all of your life in light of eternity. Do you realize 50 years for some of us, 50 years from now, we won't be here? Do you realize, like, and, and, and you stop and you start thinking, why am I letting this thing worry me? Why am I letting this thing suck the life out of me, right? I'm headed into eternity. So we work hard, yes. We work hard with our hands. We save money, yes. Be a good steward of your time, absolutely. But don't find your hope in that stuff. No guarantee that we'll live to see next week. So what is your hope actually in? And this is something that, something that a lot of young people struggle with in high school. They come and they talk to me and say, Pastor Ron, I just, I just have so many plans. I want to go to college. I want to do this. And what if, what, if, what if I don't make it? I get it, right? I was there. I had, I had my punch list of all the stuff I wanted to do. And I said, listen. God may open up the door for you to do those things. Work hard and go after them. But if your hope is in that, that's, that's your passion is in the wrong place. Right? As a believer, bro, don't you realize, if you don't get to achieve those things as a believer, you are not missing out on anything. And that's the lie that Satan puts in the minds of our young people. Oh, you, you, you don't want to devote your life to Christ right now because you, you don't want to miss out. What? Think about that. That's like being on a ship that's going down, a cruise ship, dining room, bowling alley, swinging pool, all these things, right? Ship is going down. Lifeboat comes up on the side. I'm like, yo, bro, come on. Man, I just don't, they got like a bowling alley down there. It's like, they got like an all-you-can-eat rib thing. Man, I just, dude, this ship is going down. What? A, I know, but I just, I just want to. I'm going to get one more game in, and then, like, how, how foolish is that, right? Because Satan tricks our minds thinking it's about this life. It's all about this life. 
Your satisfaction comes from this life. Guys, I'm going to tell you, when you realize what Christ has done for you, and again, that your greatest need is reconciliation to a holy God, when you realize that, and God gives you that peace, because you'll be with him throughout all eternity, I'll get to use my creativity and explore and learn things in the new earth. No problem. If I don't get to do it here, I just transition and do it there. Man, it takes so much stress off of you. The resurrection matters, guys. We are even found, this is Paul now saying, if the resurrection did not happen, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. Wow. See, if the resurrection didn't happen, then God's a liar. And if God's a liar, God is not God. Because God can't lie. You see the weight of the resurrection? Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, here's the bad news. Your faith is futile. Wow. And you are still in your sins. Now, earlier he said our faith is vain. It's empty. We're believing in a myth. But now he uses the word futile. The idea is, has no benefit. It's obvious you're dead. <laughs> and guess what? You're still in your sins. Wow. The resurrection matters. The gospel hinges on it. Then he goes on and says, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, talking about believers, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Wow. See, this is where, this is where progressive Christianity is now going. It's not about Jesus Christ is the Savior. It's about Jesus Christ is in your life for the here and now to make you a better person. It's therapeutic. Jesus, add Jesus to your life. Jesus has some great moral lessons, and it'll help our relationships with one another grow if we just do what Jesus said. And you know what? That's true. That's true. But that's like me. Let's go back to the cruise ship that's going down where I say, hey, listen, man, you haven't hit any stripes. Let me show you. Hold the ball like this. Put your feet together, right? Have a PBA pro show you how to bow. And you can learn, and oh, I got a strike. Yeah, good job, good job. Okay. Guess what? The ship's still going down. <laughs> You'll go down making strikes, okay? Jesus Christ did not come into the world to make good people or bad people good. Like, he didn't die so, so that you could be a better moral person. Jesus Christ died on a cross to make spiritually dead people come alive. It's not about some type of moral therapy. He is the Lamb of God who died to take away the sins of the world. So Paul says, if we only have Christ for this life and how he can make this life better, oh man, shame on us. Shame on us. Become a Buddhist. There are a lot of Middle Eastern religions that will bring harmony to your life and just take care of the anxiety and the meditation and the incense. Let's say no incense, okay? <laughs> they may walk out the temple smiling. Okay? We need hope, not only for this life, but for the next. So no resurrection equals no forgiveness. As we get ready to wrap up, look at verse 20. But in fact, Paul comes to the conclusion of this argument. Christ has been raised from the dead. <laughs> the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That idea of first fruits, it goes back to the Old Testament where they were to give that first offering to God. Before they partake of the harvest, bring the first and offer it to the priest. You know what was also involved with that? Not just the crops, but they had to bring 
an answer. But as a first fruit offering. See the picture? Jesus Christ was that sacrifice. The first fruits offered to God. Remember, they did this offering in the Old Testament before they went and partook of it. Jesus offers himself as the first fruits in the form of what? The resurrection before we partake of it. Woo! That's awesome! How do I know I'm going to live again? Because Christ got up out of the grave. Wow! Think about it. You ever doubt? You ever have doubts about what, what comes in the afterlife? I do. I ain't going to lie. Sometimes I'm like, man. You start thinking, like, is what's really over there? Right? And you know what always grounds me? I go back to the resurrection. I can't explain the resurrection away. So that's where I base my hope. That the gospel is real because the resurrection is real. That Jesus is real because the resurrection is real. So Paul says, For as by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. That's where our ultimate hope is based. Amen? The resurrection. I pray that all of us will just realize, I think sometimes when we think about the resurrection, we think eternity. And absolutely eternity. We're going to be with God throughout all eternity. But it has implications on this life, too. And where you're finding your purpose, what you're running after, how you navigate through pain and suffering. Right? When you understand that Jesus was God, then you can look and trust his word when it comes to everything that you're going through now. Gives you wisdom to navigate through suffering, through persecution, through disappointment. I'm not where I want to be in my life. I'm not, okay, all right. Let's rework the resume. Let's put some more resumes out, okay? Like, like, but we still have to live in this world. But sometimes we get, like the Bible says, entangled with it. He says, don't become entangled all wrapped up in knots with the affairs of this world. He didn't say don't neglect them, but don't let it grab your heart. You are passing through. <laughs> You're on your way out. If you invite me over for dinner, that might be a subliminal message. If you invite me over for dinner, and while you're in the kitchen, Getting everything. <laughs> it's my gift. It's my gift. We all have our weaknesses. Pray for me. We all have our weaknesses, right? <laughs> you preparing dinner, and you come out, and I've rearranged your living room. You come out and say, uh, oh, Pastor, what are you doing? Oh, I just, you know, I, th I think that couch will look better over there, and that television, yeah, I'll put that over there for you. No, I'm good. I'm good. Right? Because in your mind, this is not my house. It's your house. Why am I acting like this is my house? Right? That, that would just be weird. You'd be like, what? what? Okay? How many of us as believers are acting like this world is it? This is our home. How many of us are acting that way? This life is all that there is. And so I got to fight and scrape to make out my little corner of the world where I'm happy and I got the money I want, the place I want, right? We do the same thing, not realizing you're passing through. <laughs> this, ain't your, this world is not your home. And so we get all of this angst from trying to eke out a life now, and we forget that you're, you realize, like, a thousand years from now, like a hundred years from now, you, you won't even be here. 
Don't let the affairs of this life, the suffering, the pain, the trouble, the financial stuff, it's going to come, yes. We live in a fallen world, okay? It's kind of like going in a boxing ring. Man, I can't believe he hit me. You're in a boxing ring. What did you think was going to happen? We live in a sin-cursed world. And you're going to be affected by the sins of other people. People murder people. And people are going to be affected by my sins. That's why we need a savior. That's why the resurrection is so glorious. Because this will not always be the way it is. My greatest need is to be reconciled to God. And that's what Christ came to do. And he validated that it was finished when he got up out of that grave. Now what do I do? The life that I now live, I live with that eternal perspective. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to keep putting money away for retirement. Probably won't be there. It's okay. But at the end of the day, my greatest need is met. And I'm going to proclaim Christ to others. And I'm going to try to come alongside people and help them to navigate through this sin-cursed world. But I'm going to keep pointing them to, you know, there's a better, there's a better place coming, right? Do you know Christ? Father, I pray that the reality of the resurrection would resonate in all of our hearts and minds. It's so easy to forget. It's so easy. We're going to walk out of here shortly, walk right back out into life. Emails to answer, phone calls going to work, stressed out with certain people, and God, the resurrection can just fade in the background. God, would you please keep it at the forefront of our thinking? Remind us, oh, Father, the implications of the resurrection. God, may we live our lives in such a manner that demonstrates our hope is in Christ. This life will never be the best life we have. Only when we are with you, new heavens and a new earth, and living life the way you intended with no shame. So God, I pray that these truths would stay in our hearts. Give us wisdom. Give us wisdom in our own personal lives and the things we're struggling with and the decisions we got to make and choices we got to make. We still got to live. We still got to work. We got to produce. Oh, but God, help us not to become entangled with it. Help us to work hard, but keep our eye on you <laughs> and being reminded, even in those hard moments, our greatest need has already been taken care of. <laughs> and one day you will call each of us home. Father, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for your love through Jesus Christ. May we continue to proclaim that. We thank you in Christ's name.